Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Our timeline this afternoon, Patriots signing former first-round wide receiver Corey Coleman. It's a one-year deal, first reported by NFL Network and confirmed by ESPN. Patriots also signing former Broncos Benny Fowler. Mike Tomlin says Ben Roethlisberger has an elbow injury that could limit him during this week. Guard David DeCastro has a hand fracture they will have to watch closely. And sadly, the Panthers announced tight end Greg Olson has refractured his right foot. He will be evaluated on a monthly basis. Hello, everybody. Wendy Nix, Dan Graziano, Tim Hasselbeck, and Coach John Fox. And just tough news for Greg Olson. It is the same foot he fractured last season, and he had worked hard, Coach, to make his way back. Bad news not only for Olson, but for this offense as well. Yeah, no doubt. And I feel bad for Greg and his family. I mean, he's worked so hard. He's such a big part of that organization. Um, you know, I could tell even on game day when, when he went down and he was in the boot, it was going to be problematic. So, uh, uh, you know, he'll be missed for sure. Well, week one now in the books. It was courtesy of a Monday night double dip. And we'll start with the nightcap in Oakland, also known as John Gruden's return to the sideline. It's the Rams and Raiders, and John Gruden is back. It was electric to start. Early in the first, Raiders here in the red zone. It's Marshawn Lynch who rushes for the 10-yard score, and the Raiders strike first on the board 7 nothing. Yeah, and you can tell there was some excitement here, especially with the way that they Man. score this first touchdown. He just got the sense that, you know, Oakland was trying to be physical, and they were kind of having their way with the Rams on this drive. That was then. We fast forward later in the first quarter, and again, electricity, energy. Gruden likes what he sees there. That would be short-lived. The Rams would respond. Jared Goff here to Todd Gurley, and on the shovel pass, and off he goes. Who needs the preseason? That's what this says. Todd Gurley fired up and ready to go. Todd Gurley, he's good. Hashtag. Uh, Gurley finished with 147 total yards. Derek Carr eventually broke down in this game. He throws the pick here to John Johnson in the end zone. It's a type of turnover you know makes John Gruden crazy. Oh, yeah, especially in the red area. They got a chance to put points on the board. You know, anytime you get a turnover down there, it's even you know doubly problematic. It was not Carr's night from that point on. An interception to Corey Littleton. Gruden clearly frustrated. And then to seal the deal, three interceptions uh, complete with this pick six to Marcus Peters. And that would mean John Gruden losing his first game back. The final tally, 33 to 13. Marcus going to get fined. Just saying. The Rams owned the final 30 minutes. Uh, Gruden said it was a tale of two halves, and he was right. They outscored the Raiders 23 to 0. In the second half, with 126 more yards of offense, more than double the number of first downs. As for the quarterback play, Goff upped his game, nearly an 85 QBR in the second half. Derek Carr had a pair of interceptions, which you saw, including that pick six with a lowly 0.8 QBR. We're loaded. We're loaded. You know. Um, you know it. You guys know. Yeah. It. Yeah. We we definitely know it. We're loaded um, at every position and. You know, we got guys that can step in and, you know, God forbid, keep us healthy. I mean, you know, the, the sky's the limit. We can we can definitely do a lot of things on this team. Them guys back there, you know, like I said, they, they, they playmakers. And they can do that any time of the game. And, 
you know, that, that bring that, anytime you got guys like that, that bring a whole swagger to the defense and new swag. So, um, you know, I'm just happy them guys on our side. You call it swagger, you call it confidence. I think those are good things as long as there's a humility that comes with it, and he certainly has that. You know, if you see the way that he works in practice, the way that he prepares, there's a reason why he's had so much production. Hey, man, you feel me? You see my makeup all done wrong. You feel me? I got my, uh, yeah, you feel me? But we was back, man. Me and Lee out there, strap session, the whole secondary. Marcus, JJ got on the board. You feel me? You seen Jerry. You seen B. Cooks. You seen Cooper Cup. You seen that O-line blocking for TG. You seen TG getting his own. Hey, we on, we on live. Big live, big straps. I don't think they wide outs had a catch. Oh, mama. So, man, just holler at us, man. We out here at LA Rams. The summation right. effective. Uh, in, ca- in case you missed that game. Yeah, what's he need us for? Yeah, right? I, I mean, I, I, I'm down. nervous now when yeah. he's ready to stop playing. Listen, uh, we knew this was a super team, if you will, on paper, especially that defense. A lot of dollars, a lot of uh, veteran years invested in that defense. Is this Rams team, and uh, we'll just go straight down the line, who we thought they were? Look, they're top-line guys, absolutely. This is one of the most talented starting lineups on both sides of the ball in the entire league. The question for the Rams comes if there are injury cracks on that offensive line, which has some veterans in some key places, if something were to happen to Todd Gurley. I mean, they, they had good injury luck last year, and we know from, from history that that's very difficult to repeat year to year. But if everyone stays healthy, this is one of the more exciting teams in the league and should make a run at, uh, at everything it dreams of. I think the concern comes with it when adversity hits. I don't care how good your team are, it is, you're going to face adversity at some point in the season. It's easy to be excited and celebrate in the locker room like that when you've had an interception return for a touchdown, receivers kind of shut out a little bit, you win the game, everybody's happy. What happens when somebody gets embarrassed because somebody doesn't know their assignment or somebody makes a mistake, do they start pointing the finger? They're star players. They're not used to being role players. And I think that is the concern for the Rams, is when adversity hits, how do they handle it? Do they come together? Because they're not really a group of guys that has ever been in that situation. Well, I mean, in the NFL, and from a coaching perspective, you're two games away from disaster. Yeah. All right, it's just how it works. I mean, we're early in the season, game one. You know, what I've been impressed with is, you know, hey, look, they did, they made great strides on offense. You know, Sean McVay, what they did offensively, they're very balanced. I really like how they utilize mm-hmm. both the run and the pass. They don't lean on one more than the other. But where they have improved is on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, they go out and get Sue. And I know Wade, they like to play a lot of man-to-man coverage. They get out there and, you know, they go, they go get, you know, Marcus Peters. They go get a keep to lead that are really good, accomplished players in the secondary. And, there, you know, there was a concern on paper about the edge rush, right? And, yes. and they're so good up front on the defensive line. Where will the edge rush come from? They had it last night. And they have guys that are maybe not household names there. But when I visited their camp, a couple of their coaches told me, Wade Phillips has a body type in mind, a, a kind of guy who can play the edge in an era where the quarterback isn't dropping deep anymore. They have a plan for that, and it looked good last night. So they may not be the stars on the edge, but at least – yeah, they might be able to get some production out of that. As you might imagine, the tone was slightly different in the other team's locker rooms. I, I doubt John Gruden was as pleased, especially when it came to Derek Carr's three interceptions. Here's what he said. thought he did some good things tonight. Obviously, there's some critical errors that we have to eliminate. He knows that. You know that. We all know that. Well, the score really wasn't indicative, I think, of the game. We, we threw a pick six late in the game. In a lot of ways, I'm proud of our football team, the way they competed. It was a tale of two halves, and obviously we did not take care of the ball, and that was uh, that was a, a critical part of this football game. Obviously, I don't think it was a smashing debut uh, by any sense. We need to get more pass rush. That goes for all of us, but 
like I said uh, at the beginning of this, I'm proud of the way our guys competed until the end, and we'll have some more information for you after we study the tape. Listen, John Gruden's been around a long time. He's been a part of the media. He's a veteran head coach. He knows we're going to make this about him. And we are, okay? Uh, at least right now. We're going to do panic or patience. We do this on Tuesdays uh, as we turn the page, if you will, from one week to the next. We'll start right there. Panic or patience, Coach, with John Gruden's era in Oakland. Well, I'm definitely going to say patience. You know, it's one game. And again, uh, uh, See, I thought... Cue the elevator. Are you relaxed? Huh? Oh, yeah. See the music? You hear that? Oh, I hear that. Okay, good. Right, because it's patience. Right. Carry uh, on. You know, he's a veteran coach, and it is one game. I thought they played really well, especially in the first half. They took the lead in the halftime. Uh, I was actually impressed a little bit with the defense. You know, you lose Khalil Mack, and uh, I thought they actually hung in there against a very explosive offensive football team. So... Patience. Fair enough. Patience for me as well. Everything I agree with everything you said, Coach. When you look at the situation there, I think we know that they are not as talented on their roster as the Rams are. The Rams are a really talented roster, and you mentioned they were giving the Rams everything that they could handle early in that football game. I think it just wore down. That's why you saw the run game for the Rams kind of pick up in the second half. Obviously, the critical errors Coach Gruden talked about are certainly something that they need to eliminate, and I think they'll improve in that regard. And so. Look, this didn't look like a a team that wasn't ready to come out and compete. And I think that's the biggest thing if you're trying to build something. We did see that on Monday night, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. It wasn't wasn't the Raiders. Can I just have a look at this, please, for just a second? Yep. Not patient. Look, they're not as – the roster isn't as – yeah, no, this is is for real. The roster isn't as talented as the Rams roster. Is it as talented as any of the other three rosters in in their own division? I mean, they may be the the, the fourth best team on paper. They were, and they were division. beating the team they that were, was the most yeah, talented roster in the league at half. But they didn't last, right? They didn't. They, they, sure. they, they lost it in the second half, and, and so a couple of areas of concern. First of all, he said we need more pass rush. Hey, John, you just traded one of the best pass rushers in the entire league, so maybe look in the mirror on that. Number two, I was at their camp as well, and I talked to John, uh, and, and he kept saying it's all about Derek Carr. We have to do everything we can to pump up Derek Carr, make sure he's the centerpiece of this and in position to excel. And Carr was a mess in the second half last night, and if that's a sign of things to come, it's going to be a very long season in Oakland. There was a little bit of sloppy play, too. The Raiders flagged 11 times on Monday, gave up 155 penalty yards. That's the most of any team in week one, you couple that with the three picks, it's going to be hard to beat mm-hmm. a team, especially one that I agree is better perhaps than you are. The Steelers were without Le'Veon Bell week one, but welcome James Conner, who stepped in nicely in his first NFL start, producing a pair of rushing touchdowns. He finished with 192 scrimmage yards, matching the most that Bell had in any game last season. But only time will tell when Le'Veon will finally rejoin the Steel Curtain. Jeremy Fowler joins us now from Pittsburgh. Jeremy, Mike Tomlin spoke earlier today, and I know he was asked, as he always is, about Le'Veon Bell. Well, Wendy, good afternoon to you. I hold with me in my hand the Steelers' depth chart. And at running back, it reads, James Conner, Jalen Samuels, Stephen Ridley. The week one depth chart had Le'Veon Bell's name on it. The preseason depth chart had his name on it with an asterisk because he hadn't signed his franchise tag. But now... This is clearly an aggressive move by the Steelers. They are all in on James Conner, and both sides have never felt farther apart. So here's what Tomlin had to say. Mike, have you had any recent correspondence with Le'Veon? I have not, no. Have you received any clarity on when he might come? No, I have not. And, and, and from that perspective, nothing has changed regarding us. Um, we're preparing to play this week with the guys that are here and working. Uh, James being central to that. 
Um, I will not withhold information from you guys. If and when any of that changes, I'll let you know. Um, if it does not, my answer will remain the same. With James having such a heavy workload for the first time in a couple of years in a game, will he have to be watched a little bit this week? Man, I watched that guy tote that ball a lot next door. Um, I think he's been doing that for a long time. I think he's used to that. I think he gets better with use. I think that was one of the things that was attractive about him. I know, what was that, a sophomore year, I think, when he scored all those touchdowns. I mean, he likes to carry the football. Uh, he warms up to it. Tomlin perked up there when asked about Connor, who had 192 total yards last week, more than any Steelers running back last season. And at least the, the locker room has simmered down a bit. There was a lot of anger and bitterness from the offensive line in particular. But I spoke with several players this week. They said, look, we're just torn. We want him here, but we want him to get his business right. And his linebacker, Anthony Ciccolo, told me Bell is a great teammate and he should get whatever he deserves. Fair enough, Jeremy. In the meantime, this team is a bit banged up. Uh, how about some injury updates? Yeah, all-pro guard David DeCastro has a fractured hand. Our guy Dan Graziano saw him getting evaluated after the game, so I asked him about it. He said, I'm fine, no worries. But then he had a cast on his hand yesterday in the locker room. Tomlin said that they'll monitor his practice, or his progress on the fracture. And then Ben Roethlisberger with an elbow issue. issue. Tomlin was a little vague. He said it's a bumps and bruises situation associated with football. Usually when he says that, that means that it's a minor injury. But I asked him to clarify, does that indicate he'll be good for Sunday, Tomlin wouldn't go there. He just said, we're going to see how he feels tomorrow, early in the practice week, go from there. So it shouldn't be anything serious. They might just get some work to the young quarterbacks. And Roethlisberger typically does take uh, Wednesday's practice off as a general rule of thumb to get some rest. So nothing to worry about yet, but he should be good. They'll see how he responds. Thank you, Jeremy. Steelers fans do not want to hear yet when we talk about that, but thank you. Uh, Coach Fox, it's a delicate situation, and we saw emotions spill over when Le'Veon Bell didn't report prior to week one, perhaps understandable, but now it must be managed. As a head coach, how would you handle this? Well, I think you don't dwell on it. You know, it is business, all right, and Le'Veon has worked very hard in this league to get to where he is. Mike Tomlin's worked very hard to get to where he is, and so has that football team. Um, I kind of like the direction they're going, a little bit of a chip, so to speak. You know, the, the real games have started. Um, you know, James Conner stepped in and did an outstanding job. Uh, I think that offensive line probably blocked a little extra harder. Uh, I think it motivated the football team. And then to have success like he did, you know, I think it'll be, hey, we're going to talk about the people that are here. And, uh, you know, again, that's not being negative. That's not anything anti-Levion, but uh, this is a business, and they got to play football games. They do, and they continue up next, the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's no small task. Uh, you heard Jeremy say, Dan, that you covered the game, so I know yeah. you had a chance to talk to these guys after the fact, and I I would almost guarantee that Le'Veon Bell's name at least came up. He, what it, was it, the rhetoric then? Look, a couple, from the Steelers' side, they have a template. Le'Veon Bell often misses games. I mean, he's been suspended. He's been injured. So they No, seriously, I mean, they have, they have dealt with this before, yeah. a, a, a relatively prolonged absence by Le'Veon Bell. So James Conner is now in position, they think, to handle it. Obviously, the top-line numbers from Sunday indicate that they're right. They used him just like they used Le'Veon Bell, 31 carries, five catches. It all looked like Le'Veon-type numbers. Talking to the defensive players on the Browns, though, they felt like they could game plan a little differently because it wasn't Le'Veon. Their whole thing with the Steelers is limit their explosiveness. And while they respect Connor, they don't fear him the way they fear Le'Veon Bell in terms of being able to wreck the game on one or two plays. 
so they could hang back a little bit. And I think you saw that show up in, you know, the, the three interceptions Roethlisberger threw. They were able to play more guys in coverage, and they felt like that was a, an advantage to them. So, it, Connor, great game, great story, and a capable replacement, but the offense is not exactly the same as it is with Le'Veon. I don't think there's any debate no. that Le'Veon Bell is one of the best backs in the league, and they, the Pittsburgh Steelers would be better if he was in their lineup. lineup. No with all of that being said, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers have the best offensive line in football. And James Conner can be a productive back, much like we saw week one. And if, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and you have to be aware of the business side of this, you can win the AFC North with James Conner as your starting running back. That's the problem for Le'Veon Bell. That's the problem for him. Well, they can win games with James Conner as their running back. And they can use Jalen Samuels in some of the more passing down situations because he's able to do that type of stuff. And so I, this isn't, to me, is one of these things where they're like, hey, we are better with Le'Veon. They know that. Obviously. Everybody knows that. But they can win without him. That's the other thing. Well, somewhere Ryan Clark is, like, throwing things at the television because he was, he was very vocal about this, that the Steelers were not fine without Le'Veon Bell. I mean, look, they didn't you win. They didn't I, win. I, I agree. They were playing a team that was 0-16 last year. They didn't win. They're not the same. Listen, it had nothing to do compete. with the production at the running back no. position. It had Agreed. nothing to do with it. Agreed. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're going to sleep in the car now. Happy Geico-ween. Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. Well, only in New York. The papers had a field day. One game does not a career make, but don't tell these guys that. They are giddy over the debut of Jets rookie quarterback Sam Darnold. Insanity. This is one game. Uh-oh. He's, he's darn good. Well, there we go. The literal translation. Let's take a look. We will show you the young quarterback's debut. Uh, listen, the pressure perhaps took a toll early, and by that I mean the first play of the game. Who knows? But he drops back, scrambles, and in football parlance, they're going to call this a pick six because this one's going back, coach. And yep. right off the bat, you know, I think you could argue it's not the it's not the worst thing that could happen because now it's done. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> first play of your career. There you I, go. Uh, Welcome. Yeah, I think uh, they were pretty aggressive here, and. You know, it's just one of those throws that you don't like to see guys do all the way across the field. Diggs did a great job here of baiting it. He feels it. And that ball's in the air for a long time. I mean, just Ugh. sort of textbook don't do, no? But, it, that went away. Well, listen, it's kind of it's designed that way, and so I think the challenge is it just wasn't there. Well, fair enough. Second quarter now. Now it's a 10-7 Jets lead. He settled down. Plenty of time here in the pocket. Finds Robbie Anderson, the 41-yard strike. And that, my friends, is the first touchdown of the rookie's career. Save that ball. Goes to mom and dad for the time being. And the Jets grab the 17-7 lead. And really, he did not slow down from there. Darnold from the shotgun stays calm. There it is in the end zone again. Uh, the Jets win big, 48-17. to He finished 16-21, of 198 yards, two touchdowns, and that one interception. Darnold and the Jets, they showed out producing an impressive 48 points. And according to... To Elias, that is tied for the most team points for a quarterback in his first NFL start in the Super Bowl era. He also became the first Jets quarterback to throw two touchdown passes in his NFL debut. 
obviously, you know, licking my chops a little bit too much, I think, on that play. And then, you know, right when I – it was one of those where right when I let it go, um, I thought I had him. And then out of the corner, you know, right when I released it, I saw the defender and just thought, oh, shoot. On that interception, I was pretty nervous. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you guys. But after that, you know, put it behind me. I think after the crowd got really loud after that pick, it was just – you know, oh, shoot. And then I was like, okay, here we go. You know, can't get much worse than that. So it was really that that kind of thinking that was going on in my head and then just, you know, played and, and knew that we had a good team. Um, we have a really, really good team. So I knew that if I just did my job, um, took what the defense gave me, uh, gave me that I was that I was going to be, you know, able to go out there and, and uh, you know, look back and, and have a successful game. Oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. You know, that's the literal <laughs> translation that's of every Jets fan. Said. No, mm-hmm. uh, that was not exactly what Jets fans were saying after no. that, that first interception. But he settled down, Tim, and as a whole really couldn't ask for a, a much of a better debut. Uh, what no. did you see watching Sam Darnold? Well, I saw the oh, shoot, but I oh, also shoot. saw some good stuff as well. And I think the key is, you know, when you kind of get out there, when you said it maybe is the best thing that could happen is you get it over with. I believe this is a design throwback. This isn't a, a bad decision to throw across your body. Probably expecting man coverage. You don't get it. As Coach said, Quandre Diggs sees it, makes a great play on it. But from that point on, Sam Darnold was outstanding on third down, really settled in and made good decisions. And this is a great example of it. It's a third and three. Detroit Lions decide to rush three, so it's a drop eight coverage. He's trying to work the option route to his left, and because of the underneath coverage, it's not there. He gets stuck on it a little bit, but he also probably through his peripheral vision sees the deep safety driving on the option route, which is going to give him an opportunity to push the ball down the field to Robbie Anderson. And this is a big-time throw, guys. That's 47 yards in the air as you're regripping the football, kind of flat-footed. That's, that's really well done. And I think the big thing that probably should be exciting for Jets fans is this. Not only did Sam Darnold respond to the adversity that he faced, but everybody around him saw the way that he responded to it. And so I think there's the confidence that he'll gain from that and his teammates will have in him from doing that is important. Yeah, I saw the, the little communication there after that play. You know, it was Jeremy Bates, obviously Sam, and Josh McCown, who yeah. I think has been really, really critical in, in Sam's development. And, and basically just saying it was an aggressive call by Jeremy Bates yeah. to start the game. And it was a design play. And, that, and Diggs just played it well. But was, okay, look, so scrap that. Let's go on. You can see it might have been different oh, language. Yeah, yeah. Oh, shoot. It was, it was an oh, shoot moment. All right, but but they, they, they all rallied around it and mm-hmm. uh, took off from there. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. The Lions had, I don't know, two hours of oh, shoot moments, if you will. It did not go well. And it was the debut of new head coach Matt Patricia and probably not how he drew it up, to say the least. Sam Darnold making his rookie debut. How about Matthew Stafford playing like a rookie, though? And here, guys, he throws an interception to Morris Claiborne. And right from the go, get-go, uh, another one here, Trumaine Johnson, a pick-six to Darren Lee. Tim, he appears rattled. And listen, and sometimes this happens. You know, you, you kind of feel like you're trying to do too much because you're down, in, you know, behind in the down and distance. You're down in the game. You start to push the ball down the field a little bit and really snowballed out of control. It did, and this is in the third quarter here. We are tied at, we were tied at 17, 31-17 at this point. Stafford is fifth for interception game. That's the most since he entered the league in 2009. And was this a credit attempt to the Jets' defense or a problem all around for the Well, I mean, listen, I don't think they play well, and I think when you see special teams breakdowns like this, I mean, that's something that coaches, I believe, 
start to take personally because it seems like you're unprepared. Well, uh, it, it did appear like the Lions were unprepared. And once again, uh, Matt Patricia looking to become uh, one of our head coaches, new head coaches, to get a win. Instead, before the end of the night, we'd finish 0-7 for new head coaches. Story of the game's turnovers, you know. Um, we had too many of them. I had too many of them. Uh, can't do that to our team. Um, I told those guys in there, you know, I'll take this one, you know, and um, hope I never have to say that again. I don't want to do it. I'll push myself as hard as I can to make sure I don't have to. It wasn't very good, so, you know, that's probably the worst part about it. So I know on both sides of the ball. So um, whatever it's been in the past doesn't really matter to me. It's what it is, you know, now going forward, and it's obviously got to improve a lot. I've played a lot of football, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of football that's been at a, a lot higher level than this. And uh, I know we can get there. I know I'll be there. Take a long, hard look in the mirror. No question. What can you do better? You know, and it starts with me, and I'll do that uh, for sure. Well, look, we know there's always a learning curve with new head coaches, with young quarterbacks. All of that is true. But it, re- it really could not have gone much worse for Matt, Patricia, Dan. And I'll ask you the reaction that you've seen since this game. Look, I mean, it, it's, a, it's an all-three-phases breakdown here for the Detroit Lions, and that, that obviously reflects very poorly on the head coach. That's why. That's what the head coach is. Everything, everything reflects either positively or negatively on you. When you're a new head coach, and John, of course you know this, it's going to be about the buy-in. And if you lose at the beginning, and you lose ugly at the beginning, then the buy-in is going to be very, very difficult to, to instill among your players. And that's where you start, you start talking about guys that have short tenures. It's got to start to look better early in the season than it did for the Lions. This is not a, a rebuild roster that he inherited. This was a team that won nine games last year, has an established franchise quarterback, should be a competitive team. They were not a competitive team last night. And if that continues, then obviously alarm bells start going off for the first-year uh, head coach. Well, to make matters worse, Darren Lee had this to say after the game. We were calling out their plays, he said, as he, meaning Matthew Stafford, was getting up to the line. We knew the signals. We knew everything. That's just preparation as a defense. What do you make of Lee's comments. I think it misses the mark a little bit, and so I don't want to feed into that necessarily, but I do think what we can do, and I think Darren Lee is referring to this, the, the New York Jets defense was prepared for what they were going to see from that offense, and here's kind of a great example of it. Before we get too far into it, Coach, I know you want to make the point about for a quarterback, you, well, you can disrupt things quickly once you talk about getting beat up front, which is exactly what happens here. Yeah, I think what adds to it, and a lot's made of this poor throw, but if you look at their left guard, Frank Ragnow, gets beat by Henry Anderson, which is going to put him right in Matthew Stafford's lap. So I promise you in those film meetings today, this came up uh, to help the issue. And so now the other thing that comes up, and this is what we're talking about, it's not about stealing signals, it's about you know understanding formations and getting a sense of the route combination that's going to happen behind it. So you look at what happens here. Here's what happens, a little short motion from Golden Tate. Now basically what you have is you have a bunch look right here where you can see the communication, and Coach knows this because this is what you're teaching. They're, they're talking to each other now. This is what we should expect. And you heard Michael Adams talk about this afterwards. Yeah, you're going to get a snag route, a seven, with a follow or angle. People have different terminology. But you could see all three of the guys communicating the minute that short motion occurred. And that's what that defense is talking about. I mean, Todd Bowles and his defensive staff did a great job in preparation. I promise you they saw that card and they saw that scripted in practice. Yeah, and this is exactly what you're talking about. Here comes the shallow cross. And so Darren Lee... While it looks like he's going to wall it off, really what he's not doing, he's not just walling it off. He's going to let that pass because he's letting that pass 
to this defender here because he knows that he needs to make the play on the angle route. And so that, that's route recognition based on the formation, not because you've stolen somebody's signal and you know that it's coming, which is what leads to the interception. Yeah, when you say stealing Correct. signals, there's so much connotation that comes with that. This is nothing new. You know, teams prepare all the time like this. They pick up tendencies. They make adjustments. I think what separates teams, Coach, and correct me if I'm wrong, is what you do with that information. It doesn't do you any good just to have it. So give us an example when you take what you've learned and use it to your competitive advantage. Well, here, here's the issue with signals, and everybody steals signals. I don't care what sport it is. And, but sometimes you start spreading that information too much, you can get messed up by stealing signals. And here's an example in 13, uh, where Peyton Manning, we're no huddle offense, he's over here. And in week one against the Baltimore Ravens, we had done this on video. And you have audio all right, that you can hear, and the term with it is smash. Okay, We've got a Pro Bowl safety back there, uh, Charles Woodson, all right, that he sees the signal. He's been coached on the signal, and you can see him start to widen. Well, what happens on that is that means that you're going to get a delay route here, all right, with a seven route there is normally that progression. That's what smash means to the offense, to the defense, yeah. to everybody. That's what happens there. Because what you want, Coach, is you made that smash call. You mentioned Charles Woodson is here. Well, watch what he does. He widens out because he's expecting that corner from Wes Welker. Now, the wrinkle you had on it is, yeah, and here's Charles Woodson who's going to do the, 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 the film study. You could see him widen. He thought we were running the same play again, and we ran the fake corner post. There you go. Well, in, at the end of the day, all of this resulted in a loss for Matt Patricia, also a loss for John Gruden. So that means teams with new head coaches went 0-7 in week one. It's just the fourth time since the 1970 merger that each team with a new head coach lost its first game. It happened since 2001 when new coaches went 0-6 in their openers that season. Lower through his intended receiver, and Rashad Jones has it. First turnover of the game belongs to Miami. Jones and is a big play guy. Fighting and pushing and shoving out there, too. Gabbard back to throw. Gets it off, and it's picked by Rashad Jones. He gets back up, down the sideline, at the 40. Cut back across the field. The second interception of the afternoon by Rashad Jones. A key contributor to that marathon contest in Miami joins us now. Ninth-year safety, Rashad Jones. And thanks for being with us, Rashad. You know, take us through that day. You have opening day, so there's nerves. You're excited. Then a delay. Then you go back out. Then two hours and 20 minutes, another delay. What is that like? Uh, it was wild. It was wild. But um, our defense coordinator, you know, he told us uh, every first game, usually um, some adversity hit. Um, the guys stayed resilient throughout the process, and um, we went out and, you know, came out victorious. Even so, there's sort of the, the tangible, what do you do with your time? You know, what did you do? What did everybody do during those delays? Uh, we just chilled, you know, got our pass off, got comfortable. Um, we met around, we huddled up a little bit, you know, to kind of talk about the things we wasn't doing, that, that we do, that, that we didn't do well in the first half or whatever, and, um, you know, watched a little football, and, you know, we were just waiting on the, the, the call, um, waiting on them to tell us when we can go back out. I guess that's one thing you don't expect to get to do is to see some of those games. In this instance, you get to sit back and watch football. Uh, what time did you get home? 
Uh, I got home late. Uh, I think we got home like 8.30, maybe 9 o'clock. For a 1 o'clock game. Yeah. Uh, you certainly had a productive game. You had two picks, seven total tackles. Uh, for you personally, how did you stay focused? Uh, for me personally, um, I just put my headphones on, kind of um, stay tuned. Um, I just knew, like, like I said, uh, we knew coming into this game that, you know, every first game is always something come up. It's always some adversity. Um, I got me a little bite to eat, uh, stay relaxed and calm and, you know, um, I stayed ready. I stayed ready, and I went out and, and did what I had to do to uh, help this team win a football game. You know, you talk about getting a bite to eat. We read somewhere you ran out of snacks. You can't run out of snacks. How's that happen? Yeah, we got to keep the snacks flowing. Um, <laughs> Anything I, I, but that. I was able to get me a little peanut butter jelly sandwich, so I was cool. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. Uh, you have Jets rookie Sam Darnold up next. He surprised a lot of folks last night, I think. What did you see? Uh, Sam Darnold, um, he's a good, he, he, he played pretty well. Um, I know they um, they they jumped up to I think the third overall pick to uh, to get him. So um, I know he's a good quarterback. I know he's playing for a great coach in Todd Bowles, and um, I think that team they complement each other well. Uh, all, all three phases of the game, you know, play it well, and um, it's going to be a battle. It's a division opponent. Um, we we, we got to go in, and um, I know this coaching staff will have us ready and prepared to go. Well, here's hoping Mother Nature does not wreak the same havoc in Week Two. We wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. The Week 2 power rankings are in. The Bills blown out 47-3 to by the Ravens. Starter Nathan Peterman completed just 5 of 18 passes with two picks, ultimately replaced by Josh Allen. Atlanta started its 2018 campaign just like it ended with red zone struggles against the Eagles. The Falcons lost their opener but are 10th in this week's power rankings. And Philly looked up and down behind backup QB Nick Foles, improving to eight and one at home since the start of last year. The Eagles, number one in ESPN's power rankings. They come out every week on Tuesday. And here we are. And I think, Tim, you made a good point. I don't, there's not a lot of overreaction here. The Eagles were at the top spot. They remain there, followed by the Patriots and Vikings. Dan and um, his group trying not to have so a big Dan, overreaction. So, Dan, as our, our resident yes. writer here, trying yes. to keep picture. things on an even keel, uh, Dan. Picture in uh, mind. Okay, uh, so take us through the big picture then. Uh, what do you see here? Well, I think, you know, you look at Atlanta, right? They, were, they, they drop a little bit, but if they complete a pass at the end of the game in the end zone, they're probably still over here somewhere, right? I, the, what I look at is guys, is teams that can move up. Right, they could move up quickly. This team moves up if it wins Thursday night, right? Yep. If it beats Baltimore yep. and it starts out two and zero, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this team probably moves up if it wins Sunday night in Dallas because people want to think they're good. This team probably should be higher than this. I don't want to give away any company secrets, but it is possible that some early voting influences the power rankings uh, if they come out on a Monday <laughs> night or a Tuesday morning. Uh, Conceivable that last night's result is not all the way reflected uh, in that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, look, you, down here, nobody looked any worse than these two teams. Uh, so, I, I, But I look at teams that can move up, and I, I, you could easily see the Saints and the Falcons getting back into that first page over there if they look impressive in week two. Coach, I think one of the other things that you have to look at, because it changes week to week, is injuries. No doubt. And that can affect teams. I mean, the Panthers stand out as a team who obviously lost Greg Olson, at least for right now. They're a bit banged up otherwise. You look at even the Tennessee Titans, yeah. too. I yeah. Mean, you look at, I mean, you talk about your quarterback, talking about your, your star old lineman. Uh, you know, that can be a little, little sketchy there, too. And they've struggled some on offense. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. And, you know, like every week of the season, injuries will play a big part. 
Because I think coaches calling the Titans is absolutely, I mean, all the way at 22. You think about the Cleveland Browns at 30. They tied yeah. the, the Pittsburgh Steelers you were here at eight. all the way at eight. And so I think we haven't corrected on the Browns one bit. The Dallas Cowboys, I heard, Dan, you said, you know, you said, well, if the Giants beat them and, yeah. you know, and people think they're good. I don't know why people think they're good. I mean, I, I just – they don't have a passing game. Their offensive line is banged up. So this idea that they're going to be able to run the football the way they have in the past, I'm not sure why, you know, we think that. You're talking about the Giants. No, I'm talking no, about, talking the, about Dallas the Cowboys. Cowboys. Oh, the Cowboys, the yeah. No, because the Giants, I thought they have made some effort there with the whole, line. Every, all the perception of the Cowboys is tied up in the idea of that offensive line and that run game. If it's not right, to your point, they are probably a second-tier team. And here's an interesting one for me. The Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens, you know, we're saying the Bills are terrible because the Baltimore Ravens, you know, beat them up. Yep. Joe Flacco had an excellent preseason, had an excellent week one. It wasn't ideal conditions to throw the football. They've improved at wide receiver in a big way. They're well coached there. The Baltimore Ravens, I I think, are one of these teams that, I mean, we have them all the way at 12. I think at points during this season, they're going to be on this first panel. That's a pretty big early season Thursday night game in Cincinnati between those two teams. One of them's going to be tuned. I'm going to go see it. You know, listen, then at 19, you've got Tampa Bay, which I think a lot of people. Dismissed before the start yeah, they, of the season. They were right. probably over here. They were, no over doubt. there. We, do, we knew Jameis Winston suspended for the first three games. So Fitzpatrick comes in and does what he often does in the early going. We haven't seen it sustained long term. Right. But, I mean, he did a fantastic you know, job. That might you been, never know. Might have been one of the biggest surprises of the, of the weekend. I think it had to be, yeah. yeah. This team probably over here somewhere, if somebody could tackle Randall Cobb on yeah. the 75-yarder, right? I mean, that... Yeah. Things, one play can make a big swing, especially this early in the season. One, one thing I want to say, Tim, you said we haven't corrected, so to speak, on, on the Browns. Are we ready to correct on the Browns? We need to see more. Uh, I mean, I think everyone's going to need to see more. Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't listen, won. They snapped still the haven't won a game. Snitch, but they still they won, did it with okay? the tie. So, like, I, I mean, I think that ends up being an issue. I just, look, the Washington Redskins looked amazing. The Houston Texans looked terrible. You know? So, I, I think that there's there's... I, listen, the preseason, so stuff, the preseason rankings are hard. There's no question about it. Yeah, and so I think nothing. we're a little bit reluctant. We, listen, sometimes you don't know how it's going to end up playing out with new people, new faces, and new places. You but don't one, know what you don't know. One week's worth of evidence is not that much more no. than zero. Right. Which is why let's, let's, let's steady the ship here. We'll do it every week. Our clutch performer, Fitzmagic, is back, or so said head coach Dirk Cutter, while Playing in place of a suspended Jameis Winston, he's out for the first three games. Fitzpatrick absolutely shredded that Saints defense to the tune of 417 yards, four touchdowns, and a win on the road. All of those things spell uh, good things, mean good things for his team. I'm not sure about Jameis Winston. So the panic button, or lack thereof, is back out. Panic or patience when it comes to Jameis Winston, from his own perspective, getting his job back. I say uh, patience. I mean, like, I, I think he gets the job back, and I don't think there's any question about it. Ryan Fitzpatrick, look, credit to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers coaches for what they did. We talk about the preparation of the Jets' defense. Same true of the Tampa Bay offense. They had everything that they needed to have against the Saints after an offseason to look at them. But if this was really Ryan Fitzpatrick, he wouldn't be on his seventh team. I mean, this is this is a guy who has had plenty of career highlights, but also plenty of career lowlights, and I think that's the the understanding. Plus, it's very important for the Buccaneers to evaluate Jameis Winston for the rest of this year because they are, there's a long-term decision coming up on him next offseason or they are the offseason after, so they're going to need to see him. They know Ryan Fitzpatrick is not their future. They have to find out if Jameis Winston is. All of that seems fair. You know, 
I'm not as sure. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to yeah. go. Look at that. All right. Let's do it. And, you know, just be able to go into New Orleans and keep track, all right, and keep on pace, all right, with Drew Brees, which basically did. He threw for 417. I think Drew threw, threw for like 430. Um, you know, it was a pretty amazing feat. Yeah. I think that football team looked motivated. All right. I mean, they went in there all right, with, on a mission, and they executed it against a, a really good football team. When you say that team looked motivated, would you – would you tuck that in the back of your head as a head coach? Yeah. And I think, I mean, uh, you know, again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, so it'll be interesting to see what happens these next three weeks. But, you know, on a, on a, a first-time look in week one, I'm saying I'd be a little panicked. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going oh, to follow you up with a panic. Because here's the deal. When the head coach walks out and says, Fitz Magic is back. Yeah. And we talk about how the team responded. Look how that team yep. responded to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right. Here's the other thing for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he would admit this. He plays best in this environment. It was when he had his best year at the Jets when he wasn't supposed to be the guy Geno Smith was, but he had the broken jaw, and so he started the season, and then he played great. When the expectations aren't there for Ryan Fitzpatrick and he can play loose and just compete, that's when he is at his best. When he's expected to be the starter throughout the entire season and everyone is looking at him, there's not somebody behind I don't think that's how Ryan Fitzpatrick likes to perform. I actually think that this, fit, this situation is perfect for him to succeed. But that's exactly why that Winston should get the job back in week. Because right, if it goes he, beyond week three, the then he's the in that situation now, Winston, right? Week everybody week. in Tampa knows this about Jameis Winston. Not only is the on-the-field stuff a concern, the off-the-field stuff is a way bigger concern. Yeah. And so I think there are people in Tampa that have already made the decision on Jameis Winston. Hmm. Well, again, it's a three-game suspension. We've played one, so he is eligible to return after two more games. So just for frame of reference. Our week two Monday night matchup has Russell Wilson and the Seahawks in Chicago to face Khalil Mack and the Bears. 8-15 Eastern, 5-15 Pacific. Also simulcast on ESPN2 in Spanish. Looking over the middle. Soft line drive. Caught by Sanders. 25. Slips the tackle to the 15. Sprints to the 10. To the 5. Silver Salts into the end zone. Touchdown, Denver. This group of guys has worked so hard. It's been so much fun to watch. Keenum looks. Fires to the pylon. It is. It is a go-ahead touchdown for Demarius Thomas. And Denver takes the lead. Case Keenum joins me now. He's got a new book out, Playing for More, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But Case, let me start with this. You know, eight months ago, you were one win away from a trip to the Super Bowl with a different team. And then now here we are and you're past week one. What has that process been like? Uh, it's been nuts, Wendy. It really has. Um, you know, and to get week one under the belt here in Denver, um, you know, my first game here, Broncos Stadium, man, in front of Broncos country, it was it was incredible. Uh, I've got a great team. We've got a great fan base. And uh, I am so, so, so honored, so excited uh, to be a Denver Bronco. It's, uh, you know, it's a dream come true. And I'm I'm excited to come into work every day. Let me ask you about becoming a Denver Bronco because it's, it's been a wild ride. You know, five cities and five seasons. But this time, I feel like it was a, diff- a different deal. This was a team that went out, targeted you, found you, brought you to Denver. That's got to feel different, I would think. Yeah, it feels, it feels a lot different. Um, you know, when you got John Elway calling and, and saying, he, you know, 
he uh, he wants you to be his guy. So um, I'm I'm very honored. I know the tradition and history of uh, not just football here, but quarterback play here in Denver. Um, you know, and the team, man. Um, getting here, getting on the in the locker room, getting uh, you know getting to know these guys, not just seeing them from afar on the field, but uh, it's a great, great locker room. It's a great team, great organization, uh, and it's just I mean, it's it's so exciting to be a Bronco. Tell us this, as a quarterback, what what was it like the first time you sat down with John Elway? <laughs> well, uh, Kinsella and I was uh, dressed up as John Elway for Halloween, you know, when I was in elementary school about three or four years in a row. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a little bit of nerves going, but, uh, man, he puts you right at ease. Uh, he's, he's absolutely great, uh, you know, just – uh, just a great sounding board, giving advice, uh, there to pick his brain on what it's like to play quarterback here in this city. It always takes some time to get on the same page with your offense, with your receivers, even your offensive line. Where is this group in that process? You know, I think we're getting better each day. I, I really like where we're at. We did some exciting things on Sunday. Uh, guys made some great plays down the field. Our offensive line played incredible. Uh, even the one sack that uh, uh, was given up was was all my fault. Uh, you know, I need to get the ball out. They did a great job uh, making some great plays. And we've got a long way to go, too. I think we've got a lot of room to improve. And, uh, you know, we watched the film. Or now we're getting ready for the Raiders this next week. Case, what makes this situation, and in part we talked about how you landed in Denver, but outside of that, in terms of actually on the field, how is it different with the Broncos than, than say, other places that you've been? You know, Wendy, it's, it's different in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's a great coaching staff, um, you know, and, and they've surrounded me with, with really great players. Uh, uh, offensively, I mean, uh, at the wide receiver position, I think every one of those guys in that room uh, is competing to get on the field and wants the ball every snap, which I love. Uh, offensive line uh, brought in some some veteran guys, and men, those guys are playing well as a unit. Uh, I'm really excited about where those guys are at. Uh, running backs, we have a great running back room. Uh, a lot of young young talent in there that's competing as well. And uh, and oh by the way, we've got a we've got a pretty good defense too. So uh, if we can end every every drive with a kick, I need to. Uh, sure up some of those turnovers. I think we got a great chance to uh, to win a lot of games this year. And oh, by the way, you sure do. You play with a guy named Von Miller, who's certainly a force to be reckoned with on the field, but, you know, a fashion icon, if you will, Case, when he's not on the field. Any tips that he's given you? You know, I, I just try to I, I just try to watch and learn. Um, I think he's on a whole nother level than me. I'm I'm pretty much a, a, a sweatshirt and uh, and a ball cap guy, but uh, he's on a whole nother level than I am. You know, when you were with the Vikings, they were known or became known last season for the celebrations. Uh, anything up your sleeve that we can look forward to in these next few weeks? Uh, I don't know. I guess you just have to watch and see. All right, fair enough. On a more serious note, uh, I mentioned it earlier, but you do have a book out, Playing for More. Tell us about the book. Yeah, it's just an incredible opportunity uh, that my wife and I got to really put our story down on paper. Um, Andrew Perloff and I got together. He did a great job, um, you know, putting it on paper. And, and we got to uh, just just share some life lessons that uh, that we've gone through, some some different experiences that we've we've had. And uh, if it encourages and challenges just one person, um, then, uh, you know, then our job is done. But uh, uh, God's, God's blessed us with an incredible story. We just want to share it with other people. And, and on the back end of that, we wanted to be able to, to, to bless other people as well. So we're going to donate all the proceeds uh, to charities in every community that we've been a part of. Like you said, five different cities. 
uh, Houston, St. Louis, LA, Minnesota, and out here, especially in Denver. So, uh, it's going to start a, a foundation for us. So we're excited to get that going. It's a, it's a great opportunity. Case Keenum playing for more and you can buy that book now. Case, thanks and best of luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Wendy. Appreciate it. We welcome you now to the Verizon film room and think about that for a minute. You know, it, it really is easy to say rattle off five cities in five years, but mm. those are people going from place to place, team to team, coach to coach. Has he found the right spot in Denver? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important just to somebody wants you. And, uh, Agreed. You know, they committed. They committed contractually, financially. You know, I'm, I'm sure his family's thrilled to death that, uh, you know, they can be somewhere and lay down some roots for a minute. Listen, as a guy that was bounced around from team to team and never had that experience, Wendy, you could see it in his response when you said, well, it must feel good. I mean, he, he couldn't help but start <laughs> to smile a bit and then to say, oh, my gosh. And by the way, the team that I went to, like John Elway was the guy in charge. Like there's a chance that Case Keenum was wearing number seven early in his career because of John Elway. As a quarterback, yeah, that feels good. And then you go to a situation where I think Bill Musgrave, the play caller, kind of fits his skill set. And then you look at the guys they have on the edge and Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. I think they've got good receivers. Like they may be, maybe they're not as good as the guys that he left in, in Minnesota, but they're still really good. And I think he can be productive. And I believe it's an upgrade of the position in Denver for sure. This, this is not a judgment, if you will, on Minnesota. I think we can all agree. It's just a fact. They, they never bought in last year. I mean, week to week, even when they were winning, yeah. it was clear he was not the future there. He was not the guy. And so now, an entirely different situation when Denver is proactive and comes and finds you. It says a lot about the way your career has gone when you can get a two-year contract and feel like the security, right? I mean, it's yeah. two years. But the, the feeling is this team picked me. Right, you know the the team. Minnesota only started me because they had to, because Sam Bradford got hurt, because Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. Uh, the Rams only started me because they were waiting for Jared Goff to be ready. I was always the the fallback option. This is the team that selected me and put me in charge. And when you talk to people around the Broncos, they talk about the difference this off season versus the last couple when there was a quarterback decision to be made, and all the questions were, who do you think the quarterback's going to be? How does this guy look? How does this guy look? All off season, they knew who their quarterback was going to be, and you know what a difference that makes when you know the answer to that question no versus when you don't. You know, we talked about Elway, you know, and Peyton Manning's in town, too. He still lives in Denver, and they've spent yeah. time together. So he's got a good supporting cast. Well, one week down, 15 to go, at least in, in terms of the regular season. A shout-out to the NFL this afternoon in recognition last night of the 9-11 anniversary. The league hosted wounded service members, veterans, and their families at the Walter Reed Medical Center in Bethesda, they came together with NFL legends and the commissioner to share Monday Night Football. Well, Greg Olson, uh, the tight end for the Panthers, who had made his way back from a fractured foot after last season, unfortunately has refractured that same foot. It is the right foot on Sunday, and although surgery right this minute does not seem like an option, uh, it is unlikely that we'll see Olsen anytime soon. He'll be reevaluated on a monthly basis. He has released a statement just a few minutes ago. To say I am disappointed in this development would be an understatement. I believe my greatest career achievement has been my ability to play every game for over a decade. Unfortunately, the last two seasons have not continued that trend. With that said, we are optimistic this is not how my 2018 season will end. After consulting with our medical team, we have determined our best course of action is to press forward with my rehab in hopes 
of playing again this season. We will re-examine our options this offseason in regards to my foot and our path forward. I look forward to rejoining my teammates on the field as early as possible. We continue now as we go inside the headlines and always a number of injury-related news on Tuesdays. That remains the same today. Injuries have Redskins down to three wide receivers, but team not interested in Des Bryant. Dan, here is a team with a need. Why no interest? Well, look, Des Bryant, it, it, the same reason that, that no one else has been interested yet. Look, this is a guy who has his, his production has slowed down in recent years. Um, and, and teams are just looking at other options at this point. You saw the Patriots sign a couple guys today that aren't Des Bryant. They've had a need, too. He's going to need someone's injury situation to change at wide receiver. Washington turns out not to be that team. But if Des Bryant is to find a home this year, it's going to be because of a situation like that where someone has a need that they didn't foresee and they view him as someone who fits. Washington at this point does not view him as that. They like what they have. Fair enough. Our next headline then comes from the Tennessean and reads Titans place Delaney Walker on injured reserve with an ankle injury. They lose Walker for the year. They also saw quarterback Marcus Mariota and offensive tackle Taylor Lewan leave Sunday's game. John, this does not bode well for the Titans injured and banged up in week one. No, you're talking about three critical people on offense. You know, and they've struggled offensively through the preseason and really a little bit in the, in the game this past weekend. So, um, you know, that doesn't bode well for them. Those are three critical guys, you know, all very capable players, and uh, that's not looking good. Mike Vrabel, one of our seven new head coaches uh, not to win week one. Oh, and seven were the seven new head coaches. Our final headline coming from the Florida Times Union, Doug Marone revealing Leonard Fournette has a minor hamstring injury. And we saw the offense without Fournette on Sunday, but what effect will this have, Tim, long-term? On Blake Bortles. Well, listen, it's a big deal if he can't play. Hamstrings are minor injuries until you redo it again, and it's a big injury, and you're sitting out for a while. The reality is this. The, the Jacksonville Jaguars are still hiding their quarterback, plain and simple. I mean, they're, they're dictating easy throws for him, and they're able to do it because they've been so effective running the football and playing great defense. T.J. Yeldon did a good job week one. He's not Leonard Fournette. It's important that they have a Leonard Fournette if they're going to do the things that many people think they can do this year. When you, To be clear, when you say hiding their quarterback, holding him back, well, listen, limiting they're just, what they're asking him to do. Yeah, they're not asking him to yeah. do a lot. And Doug Marone would tell you as much. And I think that that's great against teams that you maybe are physically better than. It's not great when you're trying to win a playoff game. All right, fair enough. With the Jaguars' offense in mind, we turn it over to Matthew Barry with the fantasy impact and some waiver wire targets for Week 2. Matthew Barry here from the Fantasy Show on ESPN Plus. Week one now in the books. So let's look at the viable options out there in the waiver wire as we get set for week number two. Jaguars running back Leonard Fournette left the game due to a hamstring injury, which opened the door for TJ Yeldon. He outsnapped Corey Grant 27 to 4 in the second half. Yeldon led the Jags in scrimmage yards and added a receiving score, and he should be heavily involved if Fournette were to miss any more time. Considering the fact that Yeldon's rostered in just 8% of leagues, that number needs to go up. Fournette rostered in 100% of leagues which means Yeldon needs to be rostered in 100% of leagues. Broncos running back Philip Lindsay led the Denver backfield with 17 touches, had the same number of carries and rushing yards as Royce Freeman. Look, I'm not saying he's going to supplant Freeman as the primary ball carry, but Lindsay played more snaps than Devontae Booker and should continue to have a role in the passing game. And I know there are some concerns about his lack of size, but Lindsay's a player who averaged 310 touches per season over his last two years at Colorado. He's rostered in just 1.9% of leagues and will have a role moving forward. Moving to my wideouts, Ravens wide receiver John Brown is someone you should be looking for. As we saw in week one, the Ravens passing game much improved this season. And here's a crazy stat. 
for his career, Brown averages 3.07 fantasy points per reception. That's more than Antonio Brown averaged last season. If Brown can stay healthy, John that is, he's going to have a big year. Brown rostered in just 21.6% of leagues. Colts wide receiver Ryan Grant, another wide receiver to add on the waiver wire. Colts defense can't stop anybody. This is a team that is going to have to throw and, frankly, throw often. Grant set a career high with eight catches in week one and was targeted on a higher percentage of his routes than both T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. Grant rostered in just 9.7% of leagues. Moving on to tight ends, I tried to tell you about George Kittle this preseason, but apparently nobody listened. Kittle led the 49ers in targets, receptions, and yards against the Vikings and honestly would have had an even bigger game had he not dropped a long touchdown pass. Remember, final three weeks of last season, George Kittle was the number five tight end in fantasy. And on Sunday, he played 80% of the snaps and ran the second most routes on the 49ers. Kittle somehow still only rostered in 37.2% of ESPN leagues. Want the most in-depth fantasy analysis or just want to see a grown man talk to puppets? Stream the fantasy show all season long on ESPN+. And there you have it. And you know what? We are all, all in on this. Marshawn Lynch, his high school, and what is that, his class photo? Is this, uh, I don't, I, I mean, yearbook I mean, photo, what? Yearbook, it, that's, I couldn't think of the word. Whatever so, it is, it is absolutely amazing. And I don't priceless. know why it's taken so long to uncover this. I know, right? Look at that. <laughs> I, I mean, mean the, there you go. Enough said. Hurt? It's got to be, what, 15 years? Fifth, right? That's is what that, we were doing the math. This is about a guy 15. that needs the name tag at the reunion. And people are not going to, right? <laughs> no doubt. Oh, Marshawn. Yeah. Oh, Marshawn, that Marshawn. That. Like, now that we're into this, we got some of the coach that I think we're going to have to bring back next uh, Tuesday. Oh, yeah, with the oh, little, oh, he oh, had long hair. Hey, yeah. I've got a 70s photo a okay. little bit like that. Next week, we'll do it next week. All right, it is time for Hat Tuesday. So what do we got? Who's up first? Uh, we got to go, yeah, right, Hat, Hat Tuesday. Tuesday. Where are you all in? You know the helmets gonna are over here. I'm going to be all in on the Minnesota Vikings, their decision to go get Kirk Cousins. Because I think that it is an upgrade at the position. I think, Kirk, with those weapons there in Minnesota, I think they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender, which is why they decided to go after And him. you saw enough in week one to solidify I that I knew choice. before, but it was I know, but I'm asking, there was additional one, evidence. Right? All right, Coach You guys didn't Hawk. want to talk about their defense. They're That's, not too shabby either. They're not yeah, bad yeah, either, yeah. and they're well coached. All right, All right. Coach. I'm going to go, all right, not necessarily the team, although I, I think we're doing the team, but I'm going to go with a player, Tyreek Hill. Mm. All right, he absolutely mm. lit it up. You know, look at Patrick Mahomes, the weapons they have. Uh, I think as a football team, they'll go places, but I really like the production that we're going to get this season out of Tyreek Hill. Listen, a clean sweep yesterday on Overreaction Monday that Mahomes and Tyreek Hill are the most yeah. exciting quarterback-receiver sure. uh, combo in the league. Clean sweep. How about exciting Sam Darnold on Monday Night Football? Throws the pick six on his first one and then comes back and has a monster game. Those back pages, those tabloid back pages we saw earlier, those were all ready to go with his picture. (laughs) They just needed to know what words they were going to put there, and it could have gone either way, especially after that first one. Big night for Sam Darnold in his debut for the Jets in a high-pressure job. They are just getting warmed up. On a serious note, I'm holding uh, the Patriots helmet, but 17 years ago today— I think uh, everything changed for all of us. We all remember where we were. And that year, the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and I stood on the field next to Robert Kraft, and he said, tonight we were all Patriots. And that was true then. It's true today. Never, ever forget. And I know we are all, all in on that. Mm -hmm. Well said, Wendy. Well said. Good job. Thank you for all those who served and responded. We say thank you. Football continues. Week two really gets underway tomorrow. We'll be back for Dan, Tim, and Coach. See you tomorrow, everybody.